Okay, I feel a bit overwhelmed, so I'm going to stand here a little bit. Okay. Um, hi, so my name is Raphael. I'm from Focus on the Family. Um, Raphael is actually not the name that I was born with. Um, my actual name is Nebuchadnezzar. And then, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So I got baptized, and this is the name that uh, the Lord gave me. Raphael means uh, the Lord heals. It comes from the word Jehovah Rapha, if you know. Yeah, and it came at a time when the Lord was calling me uh, out of a particular season of my life. Um, and I'm pleased to share with you, just to, to be able to share with you my story today of how the Lord has brought this healing into my life. So I'm going to be, no surprise, what I'm going to be talking about. So I'm going to be talking about sex a lot. So if you're uncomfortable, uh, yeah. <laughs> Get comfortable in the next three seconds. Okay, but seriously, so, so it's a funny story. I, I shared my story at another church. I won't tell you which one. Youth service, 8.30 a.m. Can you imagine? Youth service, 8.30 a.m. So I shared there, and then like when I was talking about masturbation, this little boy, he was so cute, he squealed. Like, he was like, no! And I was like, what? You guys must know about masturbation, right? So I went ahead, went ahead to define it in the dictionary meaning, and then he covered his ears. Eh. So I was like, oh, this poor thing. Yeah, okay, so I, I think I, think I want to say this because I don't think we should be shy about sex. Okay, if we don't talk about sex and sexuality in church, we are going to want to find out from the world. And how many of you know that the world will not teach you what biblical sexuality is? It's going to teach you all sorts of junk, right? Yeah? So, before we start, I'd like to, let me see if this works. <laughs> yes. Is this all right? Ah, uh, Okay. Was that you? Was it the Holy Spirit? You. Okay. Okay, maybe you can help me click now, huh? Okay. So understanding gender and sexuality, just, just do a little activity with you guys. Okay, the tech guy. Ha, <laughs> sorry. I graduated in English literature. This is not my, my forte. Uh, can you help me click next? No, no, before that. <laughs> okay, true or false? Guys don't wear skirts. True. Who says false? Why false? Huh? There's a guy in your... Why is he wearing skirts? For fun. Okay. Okay. Okay, the Scots. The Scots, right? Yeah? Okay. So what is a skirt? It's, it might be a cultural thing. Next one? Real men don't cry. Okay. Y'all cry a lot, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's false, right? I mean... Uh, I think the culture might want to tell us, like, you know, real guys are tough and macho. Thank you. I try. Yes, praise the Lord. Yeah. But, you know, God made men with tear ducts, right? God tear ducts means can cry, cry or not. Yeah, okay. Jesus wept. He didn't just tear. He wept openly in public. Girls like dolls and pretty stuff. <laughs> Girls? True or, true or false? So if a guy likes pretty stuff, cannot. Okay, actually, this is a very unusual crowd because usually when I do this, I will have a resounding no from the girls. They're like, no! Yeah, but this one like quite tapered, so okay. It's not true, right? Um, guys can like these things too. It doesn't make them less of a guy. <laughs> Funny story. I actually know one of my uh, closer female friends. She is actually into like Ferrari. I'm not even into, that into cars, but she's really into it. Girls shouldn't act like tomboys, nor girls. No, no. Girls shouldn't act like tomboys, nor should boys act like sissies. True or false? 
<laughs> it's okay, safe space, guys. Okay, the, the words are in quotes because these are derogatory terms. You know what derogatory means? means like bad terms, so terms we shouldn't use, right? So these are words that are hurtful, um, and I think it, it tends to convey the idea that guys should act in a certain way, and if you don't act in this way, they are like, like girls, as if that's a bad thing. Or girls should act in a certain way, or they'll be like boys. Okay, so just, just throwing these things out. I'm sure you hear terms like that in school, yeah? Oh, okay, nailed it. So before we talk about... Um, homosexuality, I thought I'd introduce you to a framework that I have found very useful. Yeah, that's Chinese as well. <laughs> Should I do this in Chinese? No, okay. Um, I think it's helpful for me and for my colleagues to think of the LGBT community. So before that, how many of you have gay friends? Gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender? You ever ask them? Please don't go and ask them. Hey, are you gay? No, do not ask them. Okay, a lot of you have gay friends. Um, in my time, which wasn't too long ago, in secondary school, I had no gay friends. I did not know anyone who was gay. But now, in your time, uh, I think maybe with this issue being talked about a lot more, you would know a lot more uh, LGBT-identified friends. A helpful framework that I have found is to think of the LGBT community in four different kind of quadrants or segments. So if you look at the first one, does this light thing work? There's no light thing. Okay, if you look at activists, the activists are kind of like the part of the community that wants to change the law, right? They want to lobby for laws to be changed for legal acceptance, social acceptance through the laws, okay? Um, and then further down, you see the moderates. So moderates are kind of people who are, uh, they just want to be happy, they're happy to live and let live, you know, like, don't bother me, I won't bother you, you know, they, just, they just want to be left alone. They're the struggling, so these are people who might find that uh, their homosexuality is not something they, they want in their lives. So they are struggling with it. They want to get out of it. Okay? Struggling? And then there are overcomers. So these are people who might have SSA, uh, sorry, same-sex attraction. Same-sex attraction. I'm going to use the word SSA, okay? Because very long. It will save me some time. So there are people who have SSA and they have kind of uh, embarked on a, on a journey of healing and they are uh, kind of more in control of their desires. They're not always having to give in to their desires. Okay? So four different kinds of quadrants. If you know friends, think about where, they are, where in this quadrant they are at. Now, because there are four different quadrants, we need four different kinds of approaches, right? You cannot use the same approach for different kinds of people. For people who are activists, you want, we want to just engage them lovingly, okay? We use research, we use reasoning. We cannot use like, hey, the Bible says so. You know, they, they might not know what the Bible says. And if you quote scripture, it doesn't make sense to them anyway. Okay, so we want to engage them lovingly and with facts. For people who are moderates, we befriend them, right? So they might not be ready to change or anything like that, and we just want to kind of walk alongside with them in love. Uh, it's kind of like if you think about a friend of yours who might be doing something questionable, maybe smoking, I don't know, uh, and you don't immediately confront them about the smoking, right? You kind of befriend them, and then when you feel like it's a good time, then you speak to them about it, if they're ready. Ugh. People who are struggling uh, would be, we need to kind of minister to them, right? So in church, that might, uh, that might mean we refer them to specialized ministries or the counseling uh, and things like that. And lastly, for overcomers, um, overcomers, the, the kind of benefit of being an overcomer is that they can share their testimonies to encourage the church and to show the culture that, hey, there is another way of living. Just because you're gay or you have SSA, it doesn't mean you have to act on it. Okay, make sense? Yes, okay, I need some, like, feedback, because 
Oh, that's so cute. Okay, so loving people with same-sex attraction. Um, I think this is a very sensitive topic, and I will start, I thought I'll start with sharing with you. Okay, by the way, this segment will cover the over, uh, moderates and strugglers with my story. Um, so I hope that by sharing my story, it gives you kind of like an insider look into uh, what being, what living with SSA is like. Um, and hopefully that can kind of help you understand your friends as well, or people that you might meet in the future. Yes. Okay, so uh, my story really started when, I'm watching my time, okay. My story started when I was in lower primary and I uh, accepted Jesus into my heart. Uh, but I, I didn't go to church because my parents were opposed to Christianity at that time. Um, so I really wasn't discipled. I wasn't really taught what is God's will on different things, sexuality and all of that. But I think by, by, by the grace of God, I, I knew that he was real. I knew that he was someone I could talk to. I knew that I wanted to read his word. Um, in secondary school, I, I started to realize that I struggled a lot with not fitting in with the boys in my class. Who's in secondary school here? Oh, all the boys. Okay. And the girls. Um, so I went to secondary school, and then I felt like I couldn't fit in with any of the guys in my class. Uh, most of the guys in my class were... Uh, sporty and tan and sociable and like rowdy and all of those things. Uh, the boys that sit at the back. And I was the nerdy guy who sits in front, you know. But I got good grades, so that counted for something. <laughs> I couldn't play any kind of sports. I think I was just really terrible at coordination. But I think that, let, that just a lot led to me a lot to like feeling like I don't belong. What's wrong with me? Um, why am I not like other guys? Um, so it was a really painful period of my life. Um, I think often I would pray at night to like, God, why is this happening? Send me like a guy friend who can show me what, it, what this, figure this thing out. Um, and it was during this time in secondary school that I realized I was having crushes on uh, the guys in my class. I had good taste, just saying. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I had good crushes on guys in my class. And I came into contact with gay pornography around this time, which didn't help things. Lah. Mm, so beginning from secondary school, I started to experience a lot of loneliness, a lot of just intense, deep loneliness uh, in my life. In junior college, I, I knew that Christianity was important to me already. So I knew God was real. There was no question about that. But as I realized I had these same-sex desires, I wanted to know what, uh, what Christianity had to say about this topic. So I went online. Google wasn't existent then. I went to Yahoo. You all know what Yahoo is? <laughs> okay, those who laugh, I, like, I know which generation they're from. So I went to Yahoo and I was like searching, like, what does the Bible say and all that stuff. So I came across many websites that talked about how, oh, you know, in the Bible, there are like six passages that address homosexuality. And actually, they're not really uh, forbidding homosexuality. What they are really talking about is this and that and that. And you have to take into context history, la, culture. La. You know, this is not what the Apostle meant, the Apostle Paul meant. This is not what Leviticus meant. This is not what Deuteronomy meant and all of that. And essentially, all these websites were saying that it's okay. It's okay if you're gay. It's okay to pursue a gay relationship as long as it's loving, it's monogamous, you're faithful, you're committed. So I believe that. Um, of course, because I had no guidance. So in my simplistic understanding, I took it all in. I believed that that was what the Bible meant. And I honestly, genuinely thought God was okay with this. And I reasoned to myself, everyone has the right to pursue love and happiness, you know, they just happen to like some of the opposite gender. Lah. I just like the same gender, Nima. You know, what's the big deal? So it, I didn't feel wrong when I discovered these desires. And from that time onwards, I would call myself a gay Christian. 
So I was reconciled between my faith and my sexuality. In fact, I was so reconciled that I would, um, when I meet people who have different views, I would be trying to persuade them that this is what the Bible actually says. So I was quite an activist back then. Um, when I was 19, I came across uh, two day dating, gay dating websites locally and a, a, a local gay chat room. And initially, I went there because I had no one to talk to about this area of my life. I couldn't talk to my family, not my friends. I was going to church by then, I think, but the church didn't feel like a safe space I could talk about these things about because it wasn't addressed in church. So what do you do? You go and look for other gay people, la, and then you can talk about these things, right? There's someone who understands. Um, but over time, it became a search for a relationship because I, I felt intensely lonely, so I wanted to look for a relationship. And because I thought, you know, like, God, completely okay with this, right? So I also want to look for someone who is a gay Christian, has to be Christian, because you can't be unequally yoked. So I got something right in all of that. I think I deserve some credit for that. By the way, please do not be unequally yoked relationships. I just have to say that. Not great. Um, I met this guy in 2000. Okay, that doesn't make sense to you. When I was 19, I met this guy. Um, we kind of dated for, I don't know, three weeks, a month, and then he, he called, we were on, on the phone, and then he broke up with me over the phone. Which, again, not a great idea. Do not break up with anyone over the phone. You know, cannot slap the person also. Okay, no, please don't slap anyone also. But basically, he broke up with me over the phone. La. Then I was quite devastated, and I, I went into depression. And why I went into depression is because when I got together with him, it was an emotionally unhealthy relationship. And what that meant was I tied a lot of my identity to him, a lot of my happiness. I thought he was the one that can meet all of my needs and make me feel happy. So of course, when he left, I felt utterly devastated. La. Makes sense, right? Um, and that began a time when I went to a self-destructive place. I started to turn to drinking alcohol to numb the pain in my life. And one night, as I, I was just drinking, I was crying, I was super angry and sad. And I went online, and then I met this guy, and I had my first one-night stand uh, with this person. Which, of course, didn't help with the depression, just made me go deeper. Um, but even after that, uh, God was very kind. He, he was speaking to me, so I was praying about this, confessing and all of that. Uh, the Lord was speaking to me through Psalm 51. So if, if you know, Psalm 51 is the psalm that David, King David wrote after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so he was writing in the psalms, uh, what did he write in the psalm? about how the Lord will forgive him, he will, he will cleanse away his sin and make him whiter than snow and all of that. So God was just reassuring me of his forgiveness, uh, that I just confess my sins and he will forgive me and like, it's almost like make clean the slate, lah, start all over again. And I would love to tell you that after that, everything was fine. But for the next 10 years of my life, uh, I would continually struggle with this, for, with sexual sin. Um, so how this works is I will be dealing with a lot of loneliness um, there will be days where I just go through my day feeling like there's a gaping hole in my heart. And I'll, literally, I would, go, I would go through a day like, everything's going to be, it's gonna be okay, it's going to be okay, everything's going to be okay. And nothing would have happened. I just felt this huge emptiness. I don't know why. Then I would try to tong, like endure. Then cannot really, right? Then I would turn to drinking. Then, of course, when you drink, okay, you guys don't, don't drink, right? If you drink, don't drink. Um, your moral defenses will go down, so things that you would normally not do, you would do. Your reasoning will also go down, so things you would normally not think it's okay to do, you would think it's okay to do. So the drinking will let me to a place where I make bad decisions, then I'll meet guys for sex, and then I will feel super guilty and condemned, then I'll backslide. And I will not do my quiet time, I won't go to cell group, I won't go to church for 
a few months, and then I'll slowly crawl back again. Then I'll do the right things, go to church, la, cell group, la, quiet time, la, you know, all these things. Then still very, very lonely. Then cannot take it, right? Then drinking. Then drinking, then the sex. Then the sex, then the backsliding. Ten years of that. Yeah, I didn't, thank God, forgot. I think I wouldn't have made it. But it was a very destructive time. And all along, I was still looking for that uh, relationship with, uh, with, a, with, with a guy. Because I thought that was the one thing that could make me feel happy. And I was quite pissed off at God because I thought he wasn't speaking to me about this area of my life. Like, I would pray about anything, then he would like, answer. Lah. I remember once I was praying about, uh, I, w- I wanted to hold a, a prayer meeting and I needed a venue, so I called the church. And then the church said, oh, we can't, we don't have a prayer meeting. So, oh, okay. And I put down the phone and then I prayed, God, please. Then I, then I think the person called back and said, oh, the uh, meeting venue opened up. So I remember my response was, yes, yay, Jesus, thank you. And then my second thought was like, come on, are you kidding me? Like this meeting room thing, God will answer. Like he doesn't say anything about this relationship thing. Are you kidding me? Okay, I was more angsty back then. I'm okay now. <laughs> Mostly. And I was, so I was really, really angry with God about this. Um, but, and I thought he was always silent. But looking back, I realized that he was speaking to me about this area of my life. I remember one morning I went to church. I was worshiping the Lord and I thought, oh, how nice it'd be if I were here with my boyfriend and, you know, all of that. I went home and I prayed about it and I opened my Bible and the Lord directed me to Matthew 6.33 which says, what is Matthew 6.33? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And then one night I was just crying until super jalat. I was just crying a lot and I was struggling a lot with loneliness, a lot with a relationship and I didn't see how it was possible and I was just deeply lonely. In the midst of that, the Lord said, trust me. And then for the next few days, after that, I kept coming across Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Get it? Straight? Joke, uh, joke, joke. Hashtag joke. Please don't take Bible verses out of context. This is a public announcement. Um, but it was just, it's just funny to me. <laughs> so all along, I think the Lord was just telling me, like, I just have to be still and wait and to just trust that he will provide for my needs, that he sees and he knows. And I just have to prioritize his kingdom. But trusting God was something that I found really, really hard to do. I don't know if this is something that is present in your walk with God, but I found it very hard to trust someone that I don't even see. And I realized that in my journey, if I can share with you, what I had learned was that I didn't know how to trust God because I didn't know God. It's very hard to trust someone you don't really know, right? And so I, I realized that over the years, I had needed to first know him. And when I knew him better, then I could trust him more. And when I trusted him more, that's how I can love him better. And when I love him better, then I will obey him. Make sense? So know God, then you can trust God, then you will love God, then you can obey God. Yes, okay. So that was something that I had to learn um, along the way. When I was, uh, let me see, 2008. I cannot count. Sometime along later, God changed my mind on uh, homosexuality. Ironically, it was through this guy that I met. Um, oh, 10 minutes only, okay. So I, I met this guy online, and he was a gay Christian. Of course, he must meet my criteria, right? Um, he's kind of cute. Anyway, I liked him for like a year plus. Uh, and it was strangely through this particular guy that God changed my mind on homosexuality. So even though I met this guy on a gay dating website, he was firmly of the view that it is not part of God's will to, to act on your gay desires. And all along, like, hello, we met on this website. You're sending me signals. Yeah. Um, 
I, th- I think God knew that I made myself vulnerable to people that I like. La. So, like, God tried to find opening to speak to me, right? Then, like, yeah, this guy can. Then God just went for it. I remember once we went to a gay bar. After that, we were talking uh, outside la, somewhere. And we were talking about this again. Like, why did we talk about this after drinking? I don't understand. It just doesn't make sense. But we were talking about this. And then I clearly remembered the Lord said to me that day, um, He said, all your views on this subject of homosexuality and Christianity has been based on secondhand opinion and other people's views. I want you to look into this for yourself and come to your own conclusions on the subject. And then he added, after all, if it's true, what do you have to lose? So when God puts things like that, you have to say yes, right? And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to be a gay Christian, if I'm going to be an advocate, uh, activist in this area, then I better know my reasons for doing so. My previous stand was that the church was wrong on many things. The church was wrong on women. The church was wrong on the earth being flat, on slaves. So maybe the church was wrong on this. And maybe it's time finally for the LGBT community to be free and liberated, just as women were free. That was how I thought. And if you're familiar with the kind of arguments going on right nowadays, this is the kind of things that people are talking about. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to be championing this thing, so I should, I should go research. And of course, researching means I must be open to what uh, the other side says, right? So I begin to read up on what the traditional view of sexuality is. Strangely, the more I read up on the traditional arguments, the more convinced I was. And the more I re-looked again at the gay-affirming arguments, the more unconvinced I, I became. I started to see, like, why did I believe this? There are so many do- logical loopholes. There are so many scriptural, like, out-of-context things and all of that. And the Lord was really just showing me um, how un- unviable, unviable is that a word? Un- like, the arguments on the gay-affirming side doesn't stand on its own. Um, of course, he also did many other things. He, he showed me that there are many gay Christians out there, Christians who have SSA, but who choose not to act on their SSA. And they do it from a place of joy and peace. I mean, they still feel lonely, um, but they are utterly convinced that that is the life-giving way to go. So, of course, when I saw that, I was like, what? Mind blown. You know, I thought if you're gay, you're meant to act on it. Otherwise, you'd be deeply unhappy. And then the Lord also kind of spoke to me about singleness. Are all of you guys single here? Yes? Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, I don't know about you, but in the past, I was, I, I totally believed uh, the idea that in order to be happy, I need to be attached. You know, otherwise, I, I thought, oh, if I'm not attached, then I'm super un- incomplete and unhappy, and then I'll die lonely, then, like, you know, nobody will take care of me. <laughs> now, I seriously cry over these things. But then the Lord began to show me, like, hey, you know, Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. And Jesus was the most uh, fulfilled human being who ever lived. Jesus came, us, came to earth to show us what being human is truly like. And if Jesus was the truly a truly happy human being, and he never had sex, he never got into a relationship, and he is still so fulfilled, then that must mean that sex and relationship is not that essential to happiness, right? Make sense? Yeah? Otherwise, he would have died earlier. <laughs> he didn't. You know, the Apostle Paul was truly fulfilled doing God's will. And so I begin to see the beauty of singleness. I begin to, and I think what that did for me was, in the past when I had read the Bible, when I read a passage like Romans, where it talks about how God gave people up to their unnatural passions and all of that. I will read that and I'll think, oh, I think God is saying being gay, uh, acting on your gay desires is wrong. But then immediately, because I'm so scared of being single, right? My second thought is, huh, no, I cannot, cannot, cannot be, God is so, uh, cannot be taking away my right to hap- uh, happiness. 
So because of that, I, I interpreted the Bible through my own experience. Yeah? And how many of you know that's not a good way to read the Bible? You don't read the Bible through your experience, but you let your Bible inform who you are. Of course, so once God lifted that weight on singleness, I began to read the passages for what they are and begin to understand where God was coming from. Uh, God also spoke to me on the beauty of marriage and uh, how that's a very beautiful thing, which I'm sure your youth leader will talk more about, so I won't dwell into that. So it's, uh, it just made sense. Like, when I saw God's design for marriage, I, I was crying. Uh, a, because it was so beautiful, I was really moved by really the beauty of His design. But B, also, it was the moment I realized that if this is what God's design is, then there's no possible way I could act on my gay desires and have it be good for me or have it glorify God. Um, yeah, and I think all along when I was reading all these things, I can tell you that emotionally, I was still looking for a relationship. I was still desiring that. But intellectually and, and deep in my spirit, I knew that these things I was reading was true. So it was a very like, weird place to be in, uh, so struggle, uh. Um, in 2013, which is four years ago, yes, um, God sent a mentor into my life. And this is essential, so crucial for my journey. Because when the Lord was calling me out of homosexuality, I thought, okay, la, God, fine, I'm convinced. Uh, but how? I can't walk this out on my own. So in 2013, and it's quite funny, so I was telling God, like, okay, God, if you send me a woman, I think can, I'm more comfortable. But like, I don't think I can share like, things with her because they just stumble her, right? If you send me a guy... That's quite tricky. <laughs> that might, you know, I might fall for this person and all of that. Then there will be the opposite effect. So God sent me a guy that I was so attracted to. <laughs> so, he, no, he, he, he sent me a guy who was really a father figure to me. Uh, and his, his name is Jason. When Jason came into my life, uh, he really walked with me in a way that showed me what the love of God looks like, uh, which was very uh, important because what happened was I had brought my understanding of my dad into my understanding of God the Father. Uh, my dad is a very good dad. He does the best he can, but he's a like, typical Asian father where he physically provides, financially provides, but emotionally he was not expressive. Emotionally he was not available. Silent, passive. I guess he's, he's quite introverted. Lah, so he would come home after work and go watch TV. He wouldn't really wouldn't, wouldn't spend time with us. Um, not very encouraging. My, my, my dad and my mom are not very encouraging when I was growing up. So I felt like if I did something wrong, that, nothing to be said. That's what I should do. But if I do something wrong, that's when they will tell me and correct me. So my view of God became like that. My view of God is like, he's not encouraging. He is silent. He won't speak to me. He will speak to other Christians. Uh, that God wouldn't encourage me when I do well. But when I sin, when I do badly, that's when he would express his criticism towards me. And he'll be a, he's a strict uh, father, lah, God, that doesn't delight in me or doesn't enjoy me. By the way, do you know that God not only loves you because he, and He also likes you? Okay. Blank faces. God enjoys you, guys. The Bible says He sets His affections on you. The Father lavishes His love on you. You know what's lavish? It's not like give you measly portions. Lavish means like pour a lot. Yeah? God lavishes His love on you. And uh, that wasn't something that I knew because of my, my relationship with my dad. Jason came into my life and he showed me the First Corinthians 13 kind of love. What does it say? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Uh, and I can easily substitute the word love with Jason, and I can tell you Jason is patient, Jason is kind, Jason doesn't envy, he doesn't boast, and all of that. And because of that, I knew that God was patient, that God was kind, that God is a God who would go all the way for me. And that really healed my relationship with God and uh, broke that barrier to intimacy. 
And also, Jason helped me to understand where my dad was coming from. Uh, my dad probably didn't receive the best kind of father's love from my grandfather, so of course he couldn't have passed it on to me. Does it make sense? He couldn't give me what he didn't receive. So I began to see more kind of where my dad was coming from, and I think just through that conversations with Jason and through the way he showed me what God's love was like, I understood that what I was really deep down looking for was a father's love, for healthy male attention and affection and approval, which because it wasn't met, and in puberty, it became a sexualized desire. And I started to look for male attention and approval and uh, all of that in relationships or in sexual encounters. Does it make sense? Yeah, so it's a legit need, but it became uh, distorted along the way. Yeah, such, such that I look for it in, in unhealthy ways. Um, let me see how much time do I have. Okay, Ken. Uh, yeah, and I think it was also important for me to to understand what godly and healthy masculinity looked like. Um, because in the past, to be honest, guys, no offense, I thought that if you're straight, you'd be a jerk. Because my impression of straight guys was that they are very insensitive, they're very uncompassionate, they're very like transactional when it comes to relationships. They just want things from you. They don't really care about you as a person. So I thought, wow, God, if I become straight, then I become like that. No, the one. Um, but then God began to show me like uh, there are... There are, there are good ways, or godly ways of being a guy. They are also gentle and sensitive and compassionate and caring and all of that. So when I understood that, I was like, oh, okay, Ken, I can let go. <laughs> um, and also one, one of the things I needed to, to learn was that I, I, cannot, I cannot see being gay as my core identity. By the way, being straight is not a core identity either. I, I, I used to think of myself as gay and as my primary identity, and that needs to be broken. And I needed then to learn to see myself as Christian, as a child of God, as my primary identity. Everything else is extraneous, um, added onto it. Um, okay, fast forward. I would love to tell you that after I met Jason, uh, all my one-night stands disappeared, but they didn't, because that's not how healing works. They were still, I was still falling now and then. They were less frequent, um, but they were still going on. So every time afterwards, I will pluck up my courage to tell him, and then he's very good. Like, he got, he gave me the counselor face. Like, I'll be telling him, then he like, Then he told me afterwards, actually inside I was panicking. <laughs> um, but it was important. And by the way, if people come and confess their struggles to you, please be a safe space with them, okay? Like, don't go in like, huh, are you kidding? Seriously, bro? Yeah, don't do that. They will never come back again. So he was a very safe space for me. I could confess my struggles to him. April 2014, I had another one night stand. And it was, it was just this, after that sexual encounter, I just thought, cannot lah. God, you sent me a mentor, you sent me all these different things, and I'm still falling into sin. Like, what is wrong with me? I really need your help. And then the Lord answered my prayer. Now, what happens is that usually, uh, if, I, if, I, if I had a one-night stand, I would take months to recover. I would backslide. I will, you know, just be guilty and condemn and all of that. Um, which, which, which is not the right response to sin. If you fall into sin, please go back to Jesus immediately, okay? Because if you run away, you will, like, just drag it. And then the enemy will come and lie to you and say all sorts of weird things to you. So I fell on a Thursday, but on Saturday evening of the same week, I was lying in bed, I remember, and I felt this desire drop into me to go to church the next day, which is very unusual. Never before happened. So I said, okay, I'll just go to church. So I woke up, I went to church. Uh, a number of things happened that led me to understand why God wanted me there. He answered a number of my prayers. Um, one of it was that there was an altar call uh, to receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, this is something, I won't tell you what my church is, but in my church, I have never heard that altar call being given at all. It is just not something that my church emphasizes on a lot. Um, but because I had prayed a few months before, God, what is this anointing of the Holy Spirit? Show me, like, help me understand. Then I went to church, then suddenly got this altar call. I said, oh, interesting. So I went forward, I was prayed for, nothing happened. Then after the service, I go toilet, because high tide, right? So that day, sorry, I did climax. <laughs> it's part of the story, trust me. Follow me on this. That day, I was wearing this particular belt that I brought today. Um, I won't tell you what store this is from, but it's quite durable, and I'm quite careful with my things. Uh, so I went to the toilet, and then I was unbuckling, and then suddenly, the buckle of this belt snapped and fell into three different pieces. So I was like, wow, it's hot, Like, why, you know? And it's not because I had a heavy breakfast. So it broke, and... I didn't think much about it, but I remember in my spirit, something stirred, and I felt like, oh God, are you breaking something in my life? Um, because uh, if, if, you, if you know, the belt is a symbol of bondage in the Bible. Do you know that? Yeah, the belt is a, is a symbol of bondage in the Bible. Um, and so when my, my belt broke, like, I was like, oh God, is this like some kind of prophetic sign? I didn't think much about it. But since that particular Sunday, a number of things started to happen. This is where I'll talk about masturbation. <laughs> So since I was a kid, I was in the habit of masturbation, and I didn't even know how I, was, how I got into it. I was just doing it. I wasn't even struggling. I, was, I didn't even think it was wrong. But since that particular Sunday, my desire to return to it dramatically decreased, and I didn't even do anything about it. I didn't even try to do anything about it. It just went down. And uh, I experienced a period of freedom, and this is when I will... And I had my first wet dream. Do you know what a wet dream is? Yes? Okay. Guys. Okay, a wet dream is when, so your body builds up semen, sexuality education, and one of the ways the body releases it is through a vivid, sexually vivid dream, or your body will find a way to release it like, in your sleep. Yep. Uh, by the way, uh, women have nocturnal emissions too. FYI, you can ask the girls later. No, actually, don't, don't, don't ask the girls. Awkward conversation. Anyway, period of freedom from masturbation, and I think God began to help me understand that it's not a helpful uh, habit, lah. It's definitely not something that glorifies him. It's not something that's good for us. And then I begin to have a hunger to be baptized in water, which is where I got my name, Raphael, uh, which the Lord just kind of like said to me one day, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and then I begin to meet also people who are interested to minister to the LGBT community, which has been, always been a burden on my heart. And one of those doors led me to now working in Focus on Family. And I also met this godly couple who had uh, inner healing, prayer counseling ministry, and I started to see them, and after I started to see them, a number of things, I experienced a number of breakthroughs, lah. so that was very good uh, in my journey. Then fast forward a little bit. September 2014, uh, the Lord led me to go for a HIV test. So because of the many one-night stands I've had, I wasn't, uh, I was very scared to face up to the fact that, uh, you know, I should get tested, because you know what, if the truth comes out and you're like, oh no, then like, don't test, don't know, right, never mind, then denial. I know it doesn't work, but I was dwelling in that. Um, I didn't go get tested, but I was getting quite annoyed because the devil keeps using uh, this area to keep harassing me. So anytime that I was tired, I had a rash, I had a flu, I had some kind of bumps on my skin, the devil would, I would hear this voice that says, oh, you've got an STD, you have got a HIV, you deserve it. So it was really tormenting. So September, the Lord let me to go get tested. Uh, I called Jason up and I said, hey, Jason, pray for me. I'm going to get tested tomorrow. Uh, and then Jason said, oh, okay, I'll go with you. Then I said, no, cannot. <laughs> um, because this is an anonymous testing clinic. 
and this clinic is widely publicized in the gay community as a place where you can get tested. And so I didn't want Jason to run the risk of meeting someone from the gay community who might say something about him, like, hey, why is Jason Wong in the clinic and all of that. Oh, sorry, my mentor kind of speaks on these issues of uh, marriage, sexuality, and LGBT issues. Lah. So he's kind of like a public figure. So I didn't want him to run the risk of that. But then Jason was like, no lie, it's okay, it's fine, I'll just go with you. And that really, I, I cannot, it, it doesn't, might not sound like much to you, but to me it meant a lot. It, it showed me a man who was willing to sacrifice for me, which is something that I, I didn't really feel with my father. Uh, so that moved me a lot. And he went with me, I was fine, so praise the Lord. Um, journey and it just really felt like the Lord was saying I have sent Jason to walk with you uh, in your journey for the past one year and now a year later you have new life you have a clean slate to start over um, and then also in 2014 since April I started to realize that I was more intellectually open to the idea of marriage <laughs> marriage <laughs> and fatherhood which was something that I had never considered uh, because I was totally okay with like lifelong singleness because I was telling God you know if I'm still gay and like if I still have gay desires then I don't really think I should get married it's not really fair right to to the to the girl um, but I was just like kind of open to it um, and then to my surprise <laughs> in September 2014 I, I went to this like Christian workshop thing and I, I met this girl who was my okay I won't go into it but anyway I met this girl we became friends and then we got attached yeah uh, which was a really surprising journey for me uh, to realize um, and, and, and I still have same-sex desires. I still experience SSA. So I think this is something that I'm kind of still working out and I don't know, uh, just open to how the Lord is leading. Um, and I think she's a very brave girl <laughs> who knows about my journey and is still willing to uh, step into a, a relationship with Mila. I think that she, she is someone who has truly cost uh, very well. So I, I'm very glad for her in my life and I'll be honored to be married to her one day. Now, in sharing this, I want to I wanna just say that I don't mean to say that um, being married and being like a parent, being a father, is the only way in which someone with SSA can find victory or overcoming. Okay, because lifelong singleness is also a very good way in which you can honor God and experience intimacy with people. Yes? So, if ever one, any one of you is called to lifelong singleness, that is not a bad thing. That is a very good thing. Jesus was called to it. Apostle Paul was called to it. And anyway, um, God doesn't call me to become straight. God doesn't call me to become heterosexual. He doesn't say, be heterosexual for I am heterosexual, Leviticus 13.22. No, he says, be holy for I am holy. And so God's call for me and for you is holiness, uh, not just in the aspects of our sexuality, but in all aspects of our lives as well. So I just want to make that clear. Um, but in my journey, I think really I knew, I've come to learn that God is a very good and perfect father who is eager to receive me with open arms whenever I want to come back no matter how far I stray he's eager to leverage his love on me yeah um, I'm still on a journey of healing there's still a number of things that I have to still work on for my healing um, it is true that the Lord has delivered me brought me to a new season but um, we will it's a kingdom principle that you will uh, reap what you sow 
to the kinds of things I've sold into, sexual sin, relationships, they are broken and all of these things. Today, I still need to work on these things to heal, be healed from them. Yeah? So, word of advice, don't even start in the first place. Don't start sinning. Yeah, you'll reap it one day. Huh. Um, yeah, so I, I think, but, but I think for me right now, it's just knowing that I have SSA and learning that uh, being faithful means I will turn away from these unwanted desires, just as you would, right? You are, you guys are, I assume mostly straight, or all, all of you are straight. <laughs> you have unwanted desires too. Maybe desires of lust, desires of like, oh, I'm attracted to this person, but I shouldn't be, or you're attracted in a healthy way. You have to learn to turn away from that. So in the same way, that's how I deal with my SSA, yeah? And, but I just have to trust that, you know, God will finish the good work that he's begun in me because he's a God that makes all things beautiful in this time. Yeah. Um, so that's all for my journey. I don't know how, do we do Q&A? Okay. So if you have any questions, um, do feel free to ask. And, and I just want to emphasize that because this is sexuality, it's a very sensitive topic. Um, I hope we can all contribute to make this a safe space for people, right? So don't like jab and like, hey, you know, this is you, whatever. I think if anyone asks a question, let's just honor that, that, that res and respect the person for asking. There are no stupid questions. You might get a stupid answer, but just, 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 just on me. <laughs> but feel free to ask anything and I will try to answer it as best as I can. She will answer the harder questions. I will answer the easy ones. Good question. Well, I can hold hands with my girlfriend, not <laughs> in public. Uh, difference, uh. that's a good question. And it's something that I reflected upon. Um, I think when I had liked a guy in the past, it felt more, it felt more, I don't know if this makes sense, it, felt, it feels more anxious. It feels more like it comes from a place of identity where if the person rejects me, I feel super crushed and devastated. Uh, like whatever the person does affects my identity. Uh, but liking a girl just feels more, not from that place, but more from a place of freedom, more from a place of, okay, I'm free to love you. But with a guy, it's just more like, I need to, I need this. Like it's very needy, it's very clingy, it's very just emotionally unhealthy. Uh, and which is one of the things that leads me to realize like, that uh, there is a kind of qualitative difference we often hear in culture, love is love. No, <laughs> love is not love. Many people with SSA who then go on to marry or date uh, women would share with you that the same difference in experience. I've asked two other friends of mine in real life so I've actually, who are dating girls, like one of them is married now. I've asked them and they actually tell me the same thing, which I'm very surprised about because I always thought it was just me. No, so I, I hear from them and they share the same experience. I read books and these guys too share the same experience. Yeah. Um, and again, remember I told, I, I explained that, um, okay, this is not true for everybody, but for most guys with SSA, it's a legit desire for male attention and affection, which should be met in a healthy way, but it wasn't. So it started to be met in unhealthy ways. So when you date someone from that place, it's like you're asking this person to meet a very deep need in you, which should have been met in other ways. So it's very needy, what? Does it make sense? 
yeah, I think it's that. Okay. But this is a good question. Please don't experiment to find out. If you like got sensitive question, can write on paper. Minister, uh, we just talk long. <laughs> no, really, really, like I'm not, not, not kidding. Like we would just meet at, uh, we we met at Starbucks at once every three weeks. Uh, he would just talk. He would just share his life experiences. He would uh, answer my questions. I was a lot more angry back then. I was very sensitive with. I think just like the words he used, he used, and he later told me, well, he later shared in public lah, that he actually found it very hard to walk with me. He's like, wow, everything else I cannot say, <laughs> you know. Then he, so one day he was worshiping the Lord, and he was asking God how he can walk with me, um, and then the Lord just said, be Jesus to him, and so from that, I think from that he just really was Jesus to me. He was very patient. He was very, uh, just open to listening and acknowledging my experiences, even if he doesn't agree with them. Uh, and it's just helping me to feel like I'm hurt and I'm acknowledged. Uh, and, and that counts for a great deal. And so how he ministered was really he shared his journey towards holiness. He shared his struggles as well. So he's not like this perfect guy who doesn't ever struggle and not, not very relatable, right? But because he shared his own journey of faith, I was like, hey, you're a human. Okay, I can do this. Um, and this is important for you guys. If ever you're walking with someone who has SSA, earn your right to speak into their life. Um, because I can tell you that one of the ways in which my mind changed on this topic was Jason would introduce ideas to me that initially I was very resistant towards. Or he would give me materials to read that I'm like, are you kidding? No. But because I knew his heart and I knew his character and I knew his walk with God and his producing godly fruit based on, the, on his character, I read it. It's just, it's just like someone come and recommend to you some product which you've never heard of, and, but you know that this is a trustworthy person, you know that it's a credible friend, then you will kind of take your friend's word for it and then give it a try. Does it make sense? Yeah, so sometimes it's really based on uh, our cred la, as a person. Yes, let love live. That's it. Well, it depends. How close do you uh, do you know him or her? Okay. Uh, how would you respond if this was a person of another faith who is sleeping around? <laughs> well, I, I guess it, it, it depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm reframing the question because I, th I feel like um, it's the same principles. Um, so if you have a non-Christian friend who is 
doing something which we know to be sin, then it really depends on a number of things, right? A, are they uh, how close we are? So do we have we earned a right to speak into our life? Are they open to hear? Are they ready to listen, to change? Um, well, to put things into perspective, if I have a non-Christian friend who is sinning, I think between the sin and the person's eternal destiny, I will be more concerned about the state of their soul. Um, and so I think salvation would be a greater priority to me. Uh, then, of course, I'll be interceding la, for, their, for their... Because there's no point being straight and non-Christian. You will still not be with God, <laughs> right? Um, so I think I would, I would prioritize the salvation. And I think just journeying, befriending them. Uh, if you remember the framework, just to befriend. And I think if and when the opportunity comes up, uh, then if, if you ever he, he or she asks, and like, oh, actually, why are you all Christians? Like that, uh, then you can take the time to explain... Um, but chances are, if a person knows you're a Christian, they kind of already know where you stand on homosexuality. So there's uh, no need to, like, push it in their face. <laughs> yeah, so, but really, it's, it's a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, spiritual warfare, uh, in a way, intercession. Yeah. I don't know if that makes Yeah, okay. Hello. What have you come across? What have you have you come across any that are not faith based? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I could I could do the standard like what do you go find out and let me know? Okay. <laughs> um, there are a number of arguments. Uh, well, it depends on where you want to start. Um, let's just start with science. Uh, how many of you think that people are born gay? People are born gay. How many believe that people are born gay? Really, a no one? Wow, this is the first audience that no one has raised their hands. Interesting. Huh? Okay, to, actually, to date, there is no scientific evidence that proves that a person is born gay. To date, there's none. Uh, there are three kind of well-known studies that uh, I don't think we have time to go into. Um, there are three well-known studies that people tend to base this whole being born gay thing on. Uh, and all of those studies, either they are not replicable, meaning when someone, another team of scientists try to repeat the experiment, they cannot find the same results, okay, so that's, that, that's one loophole, um, or it kind of shows it's more environmental. So for instance, how do you know if something is genetic? You, you, the, the, the scientist's favorite like, study is twins, right, identical twins. If this twin has blue eyes, the other twin will have blue eyes. That's how you know eye color is genetic. If this twin has red hair, the other twin has red hair. That's how you know that uh, it's genetic. Now, studies have shown that when in a pair of twins, when one is gay, the other one, more likely than not, actually 50% of the time, is not gay. That is very significant. Because if being gay is genetic, when you have an identical set of twins, most of the time, 90% of the time, they will both be gay. But that's very rare. Does this make sense? You look very puzzled. <laughs> Are you guys following? Yeah. Um, so so that, that's one last. To date, there is no scientific research that proves that one is born gay. Um, the others would be, I don't know, it's very unfashionable to reproduce this argument nowadays, but the parts don't fit. 
uh, sorry, it's really as simple as that. The parts don't fit, and actually, uh, anal sex is a very high risk sexual activity. Very high risk because uh, I'm going to be explicit. The rectum is not made for sexual penetration. When that happens, there are a lot of tears. There are a lot of uh, and what what happens when tears is that you get bacteria and viruses are, are spread uh, much more readily. It is actually so clear that the World Health Organization uh, tells gay people or people who have, who have sex with other men to take extra precautions because they recognize that it's a universally known fact that when you have anal sex, it's a very, very high-risk activity. It's just like, yeah, factual. They, they cannot even deny. Um, other things you might be able to use is, I don't know, uh, a favorite argument from the gay lobby is that uh, because of stigmatization, discrimination, the gay community experiences a lot of depression, a lot of addictions, a lot of like, they're just uh, really distraught. Nah. But if you look at the Netherlands, which has legalized same-sex marriage for a great number of years, gay people there still have a higher rate for, of depression, still have a higher rate of drug use and addiction use, which tells you that social acceptance is actually not the solution to their experiences. And I think easily one might be able to say, well, have you ever considered that your SSA is a symptom of a deeper underlying issue that you might want to address? Um, of course, I would say be careful like, when we say these things because it's just wildly unpopular nowadays to say something like that. Uh, even though, yeah, just the media is just nuts. Nah. <laughs> yeah, um, so I would say read up. Uh, there, there, is, there is research. There are studies that you can use. Um, but of course, always in the context of a relationship. Uh, because there's no point kind of like just winning an argument and losing a relationship. I think when you befriend a person, when a person knows your heart and your walk, um, and then out of that place, we kind of share what we have found when they are ready. La. I think they're much more receptive to, to hearing. So what is your view on this? <laughs> I don't, I, I'm trying to follow. I don't, I don't want to say your question. <laughs> what is the question? <laughs> but what is the question? So what, what laws do you know in place in Singapore that causes people to lynch gay people? <laughs> okay. Um, well, to be specific, I think the one law that everybody talks about is Section 377 Do you know what 377 is? So it's a law. <laughs> really? Uh, Section 377 is a law that criminalizes a man having sexual intercourse uh, or activity with another guy. So if you really follow the law, the letter of the law, it doesn't criminalize orientation, but an act. So you can be a straight guy sleeping with another straight guy, and that is still forbidden by... Did you know straight guys sleep with straight guys? Not all, but okay, in the States, like, more, more so. Exper sexual experimentation. 
anyway, that aside. Um, so mostly, I think Section 377A is being talked about a lot. And I think, um, I think as Christians, we have to, okay, that tickles you a lot. I think as Christians, we have to have a good answer for whether or not we, how we speak on this issue. Right, to give a good answer, uh, it, says, it says in Peter, I think, First Peter. There are some Christians who feel like, oh, we shouldn't take a public position on this uh, because society is secular, and why are we Christians imposing our views? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's a neat answer. Um, I think based on the fact that men sleeping with men is a high-risk sexual activity, that to me is almost enough reason to forbid it. Because to legalize it is kind of to say, that's okay. As a society, we agree, and you can, you can just do it. Um, but I think for me, I think in terms of the line, like the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves when we agree on laws that might put our neighbor in jeopardy? Um, I think that's a question that I would want to ask. Um, I don't know if you know this, but historically speaking, in the countries that have removed the equivalent of 377A, they call it the anti-sodomy law. In countries that have removed the anti-sodomy law, the next step would be civil unions. The next step would be gay marriage. The next step would be gay adoption, adoption of kids. So it's an unmessy law. Unmessy. It's an untidy law. It's not uh, great lah. Uh, legally, because, you know, why, why do you only criminalize guys and not girls and all of that? But it has its place. Uh, okay, sorry. One can argue that it has its place in safeguarding certain things. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> I feel like I didn't. I can't speak for other people. <laughs> well, there are bisexuals. Uh, no romantic and uh, physical interest, like, I guess you mean. Uh, I think there are bisexuals. Um, people do more so for women. Women of SSA, it's kind of more fluid. So they might, uh, they might not be pre uh, only having female SSA. They might have female SSA and then some like, attraction towards the opposite gender. And that, that might change along the way. Yeah, so it's not like a static thing. Um, yeah. And by the way, just like a side note, like if anyone comes out to you as gay, um, especially guys, sorry guys, but I tend to find like straight guys have a little bit more difficulty with this. Um, if a guy comes out to you as gay, like please don't freak out. Um, you might worry about, oh my gosh, what if he likes me? Um, we have taste. <laughs> <laughs> What I mean by that is, I mean, you don't like every single girl you see on the street, right? Correct? You're not attracted to any person of the opposite gender. In the same way, people with SSA, they don't just naturally like anybody of the same gender. But of course, if you do have to walk with this person, have healthy boundaries. Like things like don't meet in a public place, meet with groups of friends, don't like invite this person to your bedroom at night and do Bible study. <laughs> not typically great. Uh, yeah, so just have healthy boundaries and just don't freak out. 
in my experience, it's actually been very healing when straight when I come out to straight guys, and they don't treat me as any different, because in my journey, I needed to learn what healthy same gender relationship is like. Does it make sense? Because otherwise, every kind of same gender relationship to me is sexual or romantic, and that's very problematic, right? But I needed guys to come into my life and 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 see me as just a, as a guy, as a friend, or whatever, and treat me on that. So you guys have a important role. Just saying, no pressure. What if a girl, what if a girl you don't like confess to you? <laughs> you have a lot of ex okay then mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So so I kinda hear like your question is if a person who is gay comes out to you, how do you uh maybe turn that person down in a way that doesn't alienate the person further? Um I don't know, I don't imagine it'd be very different from turning a girl down. Uh, in a respectful way, like, of course. Uh, if you feel like you need to, you can just say very clearly, like, hey, I'm not turning you down because I'm homophobic or, you know, whatever. I'm just not your type. <laughs> well, you're not my type. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think most people can accept that. Uh, if for whatever reason, I don't think this is likely, but if for whatever reason the person is like, ah, oh, you know, homophobic Christians, then that's not your, your business really, right? <laughs> Because the person took it more personally than they should, and it's unwarranted uh, criticism, right? So it's based on your befriending them and whatever your character has been great, and all of that. But the person can still kind of take your rejection as a homophobic response. Then that's not your thing to worry about. Wow. You must assume that this person like you a lot, right? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess what is helpful is maybe we turn a person down and still be their friend and still kind of like reach out uh, still. Um, even, to be honest, even if the person goes down some kind of spiral, that is also not your responsibility because the person w could have come out or, or confessed to any other person uh, and if the person takes rejection that seriously, then that's an indication of other issues in this person's life that you might want to just walk alongside and to refer help if the person's open. Lah. Yeah, so like you're not responsible for all things. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know if there's a formula because it really differs from person to person. But I would say leading the person on is not great, lah, right? Because that that is kind of like feeding into the person's uh, emotional emotional dependency. Uh, so that's not good. But I think I think I think the the rejection can come in a lot of ways. Either you explicitly say, or you just act in such a way that there's really no question at all that. Like if you treat this person the same way you would treat someone else, then I think your character speaks for itself. But of course, you don't go and spend a lot of time exclusively with this one person, one on one. Uh, that that would be considered leading a person on, lah. Like just as you wouldn't spend time with someone of the opposite gender, one on one, a lot of the time. But I think as long as you're aware that this person likes you, then that's time to put in place some healthy healthier boundaries to help the person. And if one day the person's like, actually, yeah, I kind of like you, then then have that conversation when it comes. Yeah, so don't yeah, pray about it. Don't worry so much, I think. Anyway, then I'll pray for the person to move on, like someone else. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any questions? Go for it. Yeah, anything's possible. <laughs> I mean, the, the marriage is not an uh, antidote to having SSA. That's for sure. Uh, just as if a person has been in, uh, I don't know, addiction to pornography, getting married would not just suddenly make the addiction go away. Or if a person has an addiction to masturbation, it would then suddenly go away. Uh, I think cases in which a person has SSA, gets married and all of that, then they fall one day, it's probably an, likely it's an indication of unresolved issues that the person uh, haven't really dealt with over time. La. Because the way I, I experience uh, acting on my SSA, it's a coping mechanism for me. When I feel lonely, tired, stressed, I actually feel the pull of my desires a lot more strongly. But then when I spend time with God, when I rest well, when I have healthy community, I still kind of feel it, but it's, I'm more able to resist it. It's, it's not so strong. So if I go a long period of time where I'm just tired and I'm stressed out, I don't deal with my issues, I repress it, I don't uh, address it healthily, then these desires will keep growing. One. Then one day it will, something will snap. Yeah, and I, and I would say this applies to anyone in any situation with unresolved issues. Yeah, but really marriage and kids is not a cure. Uh, if anything, I would say that this adds more stress to a person's life because you have more responsibilities and commitment and a person needs then to deal with these issues a lot more uh, decisively. Yeah. And by the way, having SSA itself is not a sin. You guys know that? Yeah, okay, great. Just to make things clear. I don't know. <laughs> Intersex? Uh, they are kind of... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not really familiar with that. I, I know that the doctor would, the, doc, the doctors have a means to determine one way or another at birth. So it's some kind of testing or blood or I don't know what. Uh, it, is, it is a very complex issue. Uh, and 
love them? <laughs> what, do we, what do we do with them? I mean, it's, it's, in a way, it's, there's no formula to it. Yeah. Essentially, the call to these people, as to people with SSA, as to all of us, is the gospel. It really is the gospel. I heard this pastor from the UK, Sam Albury, he has SSA himself, and he says this, which I feel like makes a lot more sense. He says, if you think that a person has, with SSA, the cost of discipleship is higher for this person than for you, then you don't really understand the cross. You don't really understand what bearing the cross means. It's not heavier for me than it is for you. All of us have a cross. All of us have to die to ourselves. It's just, unfortunately, this issue is just a hot button issue now. Um, so what do we do? I think we just love as Jesus loves. Which sounds super vague and abstract, but I think when we really know a person, the specifics will become more clear to us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you know someone like that? Do you know someone like that? Oh, it's like a live live tweeting Q and A. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent question. That's a very very good question. Um. And really the heart behind why uh, speaking engagements like that. Lah. Um, well, uh, where do I start? I think maybe first of all, the church must apologize for its silence in the past on this topic. Mm. Rightfully or wrongfully, the silence or discomfort with this topic has caused many LGBT people to leave the church. Uh, and are you like transcribing what I'm saying right now? So stressful. <laughs> and teddy bear. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I, I guess starting from a place of apologizing, if, 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 if you know a, a gay person who has left the church, I think maybe to sometimes acknowledge that, hey, um, the church has done this and that and that wasn't helpful, we're sorry. I think that's just a good demonstration of humility. Um, I think my observation over the last 10 years is that the church has been learning how to have a better conversation on this topic. There was, at first there was silence, and then it started to speak out. And then when it started to speak out, because it's so new at it, uh, it didn't really get all the right accents or the emphasis right. Um, but still, I think that's worth encouraging, because you, you cannot just like, boom, suddenly perfect response. It doesn't work that way. Uh, the church is a family, and we're growing together. So I think, of course, speaking rightly on the issue, it is not the worst sin ever possible. Uh, neither is it something that is trivial, right? So I think, how do we be welcoming to someone with SSA? It's the same approach we would adopt to be welcoming to anybody, right? Um, there is a good model that you might consider uh, adopting. So I know there's three Bs, believe, belong, behave, right? The kind of like the wrong approach would be behave, no, be believe, behave, then belong. So you believe us, you believe the message, you must behave yourself, then you can belong. But I think often the more gospel-centric way is believe, then you belong, 
And then when people belong, they will behave. Or sometimes people will want to belong first, then they can believe, and then they will behave. Yeah, so I think, I think just uh, being welcoming might mean uh, you don't require a person to change before they be part of a community. Uh, just as you, you know, like walk in, like, hey, how are you cohabiting? Are you surfing porn? Are you like, you don't do that to anybody else, right? So I think we have to have a consistent message to people if that's it. Um, so that's like the love compassion part. But I think it also means that we cannot shy away from speaking the truth. In our culture now, there is a lot of deception. A lot of popular media would tell you that being gay is right, love is love. I think when the church agrees with this message, we are actually not loving people well. Sam Albury again, he said this really cool thing. He said, when we don't preach the gospel to gay people, we are actually excluding them from the kingdom of God. So actually gay affirming churches are very intolerant because they're excluding gay people from the kingdom of, of God. Don't you think so? If you're a gay affirming church, you're telling gay people, it's okay to act on your desires, it's fine. You disregard passages that say that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. You don't give them the full counsel of the word of God and you lead them on a lie that what they're doing is fine. At the end of the day, when they see God and they find out what the judgment is, don't you think like that's, that does a major disservice to them? Um, so I don't know if that helps. Of course, don't excessively harp on the issue. Lah. Don't like every week we preach about homosexuality, then you see the person, hey, how are you, you still gay? <laughs> no, you know, but we kind of just journey alongside and, and often having SSA is not the major, the, I don't necessarily think that will be the most important issue in a person's life. I might have SSA, but I may have greed or selfishness or pride. I think these things are worth addressing as well. That, you know, many areas in my life to start with. Um, so yeah, I, I think maybe also preaching on sexuality as a whole uh, would be helpful. So if, if say in, in service, there is a conversation about uh, heterosexuality, on pornography, masturbation, the struggle towards holiness, abstinence, uh, what does abstinence look like? I think when we have conversations about sexuality in general, uh, people might feel safe to talk about sexuality and then homosexuality. It's very hard to like not talk about sexuality at all, then suddenly like gay. <laughs> It's like taking your A-levels when you haven't taken your PSLE. Does it make sense? Yeah. And I think also if, if I were a friend with this person, I would want to share my journey of holiness in this area, uh, which can look like, hey, I'm struggling with pornography, and this is my struggle. I know your struggle is SSA, but mine is this. Let's just journey together. Uh, it doesn't help to come from a life. I have no struggles. You know, what's wrong with you? Can I pray for you? <laughs> that doesn't help, lah, you know, but when we are journeying together, I think that, that really helps people feel like they belong. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Okay. Should I wait for your friend to reply? Okay. <laughs> Don't have to apologize. What do you think? <laughs> okay, but I, I think first of all, what do you mean by supporting and affirming? Affirming is like what? Commending, okay.
So wh what do you think? Okay, do you, do you think, okay, I, I think a simple framework uh, is that, uh, okay, maybe I should show you this slide. That, that might help. Wait, Okay, I won't go through this, because this is like, okay, maybe I'll just go through this, yeah. So help people realize that's not the worst sin, earn your right to speak into their life. No use winning the argument, but losing the relationship. So always maintain a relationship. Even if the person is like still gay affirming, if you have the relationship. So if you believe that this is not something that's good, right? One day the shit will hit the fan. Can I say that here? Shit, okay. One day the shit will hit the fan, and then at least they know that you are in their life. Then they will come to you for support. If you had won the argument and lost the relationship, if one day something happens to them, trouble happens and they might have no one from the church to turn to. So again, the relationship is very important. Um, build a strong, healthy, authentic relationship with them. Express love, care, and concern. Ah. When you have won their heart, then speak about the, the truth la, in the appropriate time. One easy way to help you remember, three A's, acceptance versus approval. Okay, one. So, we, of course, we accept uh, a person who's gay as worthy of love. They are made in the image of God. They are deserving of respect and dignity because that's how the Lord sees them. But um, accepting a person and approving a person's actions are two very different things. I cannot love, say I love this brother unconditionally. I cannot love you unconditionally and approve all your actions unconditionally. Because it doesn't make sense. What if one day he's like, hey, I'm going to burn my arm with something. How? You love me, right? Accept that. Doesn't make sense, right? Or if I have a five-year-old kid, who comes up to me and like, hey, daddy, I want to drive your car. You love me, right? Let me drive your car. No way on earth am I going to let my kid drive, you know? So we love a person, but that doesn't mean we condone their actions because sometimes not condoning their actions is an act of love. Make sense? Last year's pinged up video, right? Pastor Pauline. Yeah. Mm, I don't know if it's a sin, but I don't think it's loving. Um, it's kind of like if I, if I have a friend who likes to cut him or herself, and I affirm and approve of that, that's not loving that my friend very well. Right? He might not believe it's wrong, but it doesn't take away the consequence of the action. I mean, I might not believe eating sand is, is bad for my stomach, but, but, I, but if I eat it, it will still damage me, you know what I mean? My belief doesn't make something true or untrue. The truth will be truth, whether we believe it or not. So then we have to ask ourselves, what does our affirmation mean? Do we, are we encouraging people to harm themselves when we affirm? Um, of course, it's a different thing when this person doesn't agree with you and you're just kind of walking alongside and waiting for an opportunity to speak. La. So I don't think it's a sin because... It's, it's not so clear-cut. Um, yeah. Okay. So, affirm change if a person wants change, right? 
so give them hope, give them support, professional help if they need. And accountability. So we talk about healthy boundaries and involving them in the community. So to answer your question about what uh, someone, how do you welcome someone in the gay community? Involve them in your community, in your cell group, in your service. Because, okay, let's just address the people who wants to leave the gay community or they are undecided. If I look at Pink Dot and it's like welcoming and it's pink and it's exciting and it's celebration, then I look at the church, it's like no sound, no picture, there's silence or there's judgment. What do you think I will choose? Of course, I will join Pink Dot. So if you want people to leave Pink Dot or to leave a gay community, the church has to be a more beautiful community to join. Otherwise, it's like the person is hanging on to this branch and then you're saying, let go, let go, it's fine, let go. They're like, huh, let go, then go where? You know, you offer them another branch first. When they hold on to that branch, then they will let go of the, yeah. So who's to answer this question? We are. The church, there's no day the church, we are the church. We have to be the answer to these people's uh, situation. The reason why the gospel is not good news to a lot of people who are gay is because they think believing in Jesus means a life of misery and loneliness. And the only way for them not to think that is if the church will be an answer and, if, and the church says, join us and you will not live a life of loneliness. We will surround you, we will love you, we will give you good and viable relationships that speaks biblical truth and love into your life and they will support you in becoming the person that God wants you to be. But the church needs to do that. If the church doesn't do that, it really has no right telling a gay person not to live that life. Because right now, that life looks a lot more attractive. Does it make sense? Yeah. Okay, so you can read this. Welcome them, praise them at every opportunity um, for the progress that they're making, right? So if maybe they are surfing porn five times a day, last time. Then like this week, they serve four times only. That is worth celebrating. Because to this person, it's a huge step. Um, ask the hard questions. So rarely do people hold on to a position just to hold on to it. When someone is gay affirming, they have a deeper need. Maybe they want love. Maybe they want to be accepted. So you want to see what is the question behind the question and to address that. Yeah? Okay, the, the rest you know, huh? don't judge. Don't harp on the issue. Don't like Bible thumb. Don't like everything the Bible says. I mean, you, you can quote the scripture, please don't get me wrong, but uh, in the right context and in, in relationship. Yeah. Yep. Any other questions? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a huge, stressful question. Oh, I think that's where you come in. <laughs> what is it doing right now? Personally, I think it's important that the church speaks the truth to society. Um, that's one way in which the church knows. This is one way in which the world knows how the church is a beacon of light and a hospital for the hurting. But the how is a different thing. La. 
I think it's good that the church is awakening to this issue and starting to speak on it. Um, I don't often think the how it's done is the most helpful. Um, yeah, but I think also in speaking about these things to our friends, Christians or non-Christians, um, I think we want to be mindful to be honoring and to be uh, loving. So what I mean by that is, okay, so to be honest, I've heard, I used to be very angry at the kinds of things that Pastor Lawrence says. Um, and today, I still know people like, oh, Pastor Lawrence, ah, yeah, how can you say such and such? And I'm like, okay, I get it, I get the hurts, but if I think about it, if Pastor Lawrence is my brother in Christ, he's my family member, right, in the kingdom of God, how do I speak about a brother in Christ? Do I dishonor him in my speech or my thoughts? Uh, do I condemn him? Do I judge him? Do I, you know what I mean? Because essentially, the people who criticize Pastor Lawrence in a dishonoring way, what they really want is for him, well, is, what they really want is for the church to speak well on the issue. And don't you think that in order to achieve that goal, you yourself have to first speak well. You yourself have to first have the Spirit of Christ. You yourself have, must first have this, the fruit of the Holy Spirit before you ask someone to do that. Does it make sense? You cannot like be all judgmental or whatever, then you ask, expect the person to behave better than you. Um, so whatever, I think whatever your stand is on these public statements, um, I think we ourselves must first know what is our stand. To have a good answer, again, to have a well-reasoned thing. So I don't think it's necessary one way or another. Um, and in speaking about disagreeing, disagreements with public statements, I think we just want to be honoring and loving as well to people who are speaking on it. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers. I, I know that the church gets a bad rap in like the whole, oh yeah, the church, uh, everything is a petition, everything is a public statement, you know, beauty and the beast and this and that. <laughs> uh, I just think that the body is full of diversity and different people have different views and perspectives and maybe Pastor Lawrence sees something that I don't see. Maybe Pastor Lawrence at the level he's at is privy to information that I'm not privy at. And that I have to give him the benefit of doubt la, about that. And I have to trust that he is also trying to do the best. Maybe God has called him, I don't know. You know? Mm. So, but internally as a church, can we have conversations about these things uh, in an honoring way? Because what we want to do is we want to all proceed, uh, how do I say, grow together in this in a good way. Uh, what we're not doing is what we're doing, uh, I don't know if you know this, but in the 1960s in, in America, when the sexual revolution was, was, was uh, rampant, the church actually lost an opportunity to minister to the gay community. 1960s, the HIV virus broke out. Nobody knew what it was. Um, and the American churches, well, maybe not all, but the, most, the more outstanding ones, they begin to say things like, HIV is a plague sent by God to wipe out the gay community. Um, the pastors would say, you know, you sh if you see a guy with a limb wrist, you straighten that wrist out. Again, not helpful. And because of that, to this day, when people think about the church and the American church, they, they automatically think back to that time when the church was homophobic, bigoted, unhelpful. So I think I'm glad that's not something we are doing. I think Singapore, we're trying to learn to do better, to learn how to speak well uh, with the right emphasis and the accents, trying to be welcoming as well. Uh, we're not super there yet, but I think I don't know. I'm hopeful that we're, we're getting there. La. I mean, the fact that you're all sitting here listening to this, maybe by force anyway, is, <laughs> is, is itself encouraging to me. Uh, I used to think that the church didn't care. And that grieved me a lot as a gay person back then. 
me today to speak to you on this and to have you listen. I think that is very encouraging for me. Yeah. So I realize I'm not really answering your question because I don't think that's a clear-cut answer. La. Um, yeah. But I think speaking on it in a public way and speaking to it in a personal way, like with a friend, is very different. It just requires different approaches. It really depends on what you think what you think it means to be salt and light in this world. Any questions? Replied? No. <laughs> okay, sure. I'll hand the pen back to you. Thanks, Rafael. Um, I think that this is an issue with uh, that there are many answers that are not clear cut. Uh, even to answer Josh's question, I maybe I, I mean I have I have less to lose <laughs> by answering it, but I. I personally believe there's a place for people like Pastor Lawrence uh, in, in, our, in our public sphere and whether or not you agree with him. And, and, and I think that, that question is just an example of... I, I think a lot of questions... Uh, sorry, a lot of answers are not black and white. It's not like... like I think like what Rafael said, it's not formulate, like this happens and we do this, this happens and we do this, or you know, with this we do this, that, that kind of thing. But I think if we remember the kingdom principles, love God, love people, and the great commandment, great commission... Um, and, and we try to apply these to whatever situations we face, um, then as a church, we, we, we work through these, these things together. Okay? So, um, can we thank Rafael uh, for sharing his testimony? This is actually the fourth time I've heard his story. Yeah. And every time I hear it, I, I just think that I, I'm really glad that God has raised someone like him with the courage to share it on so many platforms because I I, I believe that uh, it's not easy la, even even if you've shared it I don't know how many times um, yeah so so I, I'm really thankful that, that, that God raised people like that and and, and yeah I, I think let's continue to um, you know seek to deal with our especially with our friends who have SSA um, in, in, in a prayerful way and in in a Jesus way la, you know like how how like uh, what would Jesus do? You know that kind of thing. How what, how would Jesus um, befriend these people, and how would Jesus reach out to to them? Okay, so next week Pastor Joe is going to come, and he's actually going to talk about sexuality. Okay, catch the little foxes. Uh, so so we will continue uh, with with these topics. So come, get your friends to come. And, and we'll continue this conversation. I, I understand that some of you may be very confused about <laughs> well, stuff that, that has been said today. Okay? Um, please feel free to pursue this com- these, these conversations with your cell group leaders, or with me, or, or yeah, with your cell group leaders, or with me, your parents. Okay? Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think we, we need to continue having these conversations. It's not like 
that's why I said formulaic or, or very simple. So, so yeah, let's continue to talk about this, how we as a church can really be salt and light um, to the people around us. Okay, shall we rise and then let's, let's close. Okay, let's pray. Father, would you raise each of us really to be true disciples of you in, in every way, in, in the way we pursue you, we, we seek to be holy, just as you have called us to be, and in the way we reach out to people, in the way we interact with people, um, whether they are struggling with SSA or, what, or, or you know, other stuff that they are struggling with, God, would you help us to be salt and light um, wherever we are? Would you help us to bear the love of Christ um, wherever we go and... And, and yeah, would you really raise us to to be to be your disciples who fulfill your great commandment? So Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for Raphael. We pray that you will bless him um, and his ministry. And and yeah, we thank you, God, for our service today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. See you next week.